Welcome to the Church on a Hill podcast. This is Pastor Corey Lahiri, and the Church on a Hill podcast is a ministry of Palouse Federated Church in Palouse, Washington. We are glad you joined us for this podcast, and we hope that that this will bless you. Praying for more illumination is always good. All right. Ben, I'm surprised to see you here today, Ben Barstow. I thought you were still in Mexico. So I, oh, okay. Well, I told the stories to the choir that Ben was in Mexico on a mission, which apparently, you're back? You're back already. He was on a mission for the Grain Commission. Uh, very intense. You can talk to him about it. But uh, Ben is going to be our preacher next week for the exciting conclusion of the Little Book of Jude, the, the doxology, a couple of wonderful verses if you haven't read them verses 24 and 25 so you'll want to come next week and and hear ben you want to invite your friends and family and say finally ben's preaching again and uh ben thinks that's funny but i'm serious we get our biggest numbers online and in person when ben preaches so i don't know what that says about me but i i get a hot dog holder so um no, <laughs> which i also love okay uh, so come next week, and it's, uh, it's going to be good. And uh, so Tina and I are blessed that we get to go to Parents Week, and we'll be gone Wednesday through Monday, so we'll get to be here for Bible studies and stuff, but uh, to, to see our boy Danny, which we're excited about. So, um, all right, we're going to be in verses 17 through 23, a little book of Jude. If you want to find that, you just go to the end of the book, uh, the big book of the Bible, uh, find Revelation, then turn left, and the first book, uh, you'll find is the little book of Jude right before Revelation. Um, so I'm told, though I haven't seen it with my own eyes, I'm told there have been some cougar sightings near Palouse lately. Uh, and is that true? I've heard this? Cougars. Okay. All right. Okay. It was in Sherry's yard. So we, we, have, we have firsthand evidence. Cougar sightings. Now, I, I, cougars are are beautiful, majestic, powerful animals, but they're not particularly dangerous to humans. Did you know that? There have only been 22 uh, cougar attacks on humans in Washington State in the last 100 years. 100 years. But they're curious animals, and they are predators, and they are kind of scary, right? And they're beautiful. You are 1,000 times, get this, in the state of Washington, you are 1,000 times more likely to be struck by lightning than attacked by a cougar. And I've seen a lot more lightning in my life than I've seen cougars. That's according to the Washington Department of Wildlife. There's a brochure you could look up if you want to... Oh, it didn't work. My magic snap. Not, it's frozen? You took it away. Okay, I told you not to. But anyway, all right. So uh, cougars, cougars uh, are, live don't live as near to us as we think, or maybe they do. See, that's a map of the Department of Wildlife uh, density. You see where it's white? That's where no cougars are said to breed. There's no good habitat for them to breed here, supposedly. And, and there's some other, another way of looking at it. There, there, there's where they track them. Now, this could all be true, except then if you go to the Idaho Department of Wildlife, who maybe does some more research in our area, they say, <laughs> as they say, Here's the, here is the predicted habitat for cougars, and you know how, how, how close we are to much of that area, just a couple miles away. So it might just be that the west side of the state doesn't pay for as much cougar research in our area as we think, and that a couple miles away, or right in our own neighborhood, there is actually cougar habitat. Well, uh, think about that for yourself. 
Okay, so it is natural to, to fear predators in the environment that we're in. And this is going to connect to the Book of Jude here, I swear. Uh, and it's, it's important to be ready to defend ourselves. Uh, I teach my cross-country runners how to defend themselves from wild dogs. I honestly do, right? Tell them how to kill a dog. Sorry, you don't like that, but I do. Because I don't want them to be killed, right? That, that is a normal thing we should do. How do we defend ourselves? But we should know where more likely threats come from, because I think we fool ourselves. Just like lightning is actually more dangerous. You probably should not golf during a thunderstorm. That is much more dangerous than hanging out in Cherry's yard. The likelihood that a cougar will come through our yard again is much less likely than you will get struck by lightning. Now, I'm, I'm not saying go play with the cougar. I'm not saying that. Okay. But I'm saying worldwide, do you know what is the created being that is most likely to kill humans? Throw out what you think it is. It is this dangerous beast. The mosquito kills more humans by far than any other animal in the hundreds of thousands a year. Okay? Because it carries diseases that kill. And we also hate mosquitoes, right? But I generally don't. I, don't, I haven't seen on social media, there was a mosquito right outside Palouse. Everybody, hide indoors. <laughs> But you're much more likely to be killed by a mosquito. Do you know what you're much more likely to, to die from in our area that's an animal? More, much more so than a bear. A deer. A deer. By a huge amount. A deer causing a crash. Um, probably not a deer tearing you up with its antlers. But a deer is responsible for far more human deaths in, in the northwest than bears. Okay. Changes a bit by year, but that's just true. My, my point of saying this is we don't always have an accurate awareness of where the threats are coming from in the natural world. And this is true also in the church. Something that looks like it couldn't harm us, a deer, Bambi, you know, um, might actually have some harm or potential for harm. So I want us to think about that. Uh, as we come to the scripture today, because the scripture is calling us to think about it. Let's, let's pray as we get ready to hear God's word. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts, may they be pleasing and acceptable in your sight, dear Lord. For you are our rock and our redeemer. You are the author of our faith. So you are the authority, and you alone should we rightly fear. You alone should we fully follow. You alone should our lives be founded upon. Give us, your people here, Lord, and online, the ability to hear your word rightly and do, do what we're doing here right now as an act of worship. Not just an act of learning or self-improvement, but an act of worship that how we receive this and how we yield to any convict, conviction from you would glorify you, that we would not leave this time here exactly the same as we came. May we have that expectation. May we pray for one another. May your people pray for me and other preachers that we would rightly declare your word, that we, your church, would believe it and others would hear the good news of Jesus. And we pray this all in his name. Amen. So the scripture is Jude, uh, the first chapter, there's only one, starting with verse 17, going to verse 23. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. 
They said to you, in the last times, in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit. But you, beloved, keeping yourselves in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching out of the, them out of the fire. And to others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. This is the word of the Lord. And he starts off by saying, remember Remember what the apostles said. Apostles means the sent servants of the Lord, right? The sent servants of the Lord Jesus Christ. What did they say? What were they saying to the church? Well, one thing we know that they said, we see Paul saying it to the people of Ephesus in Acts 20. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. So Paul and the other apostles warned the church as part of their core teachings that people are going to try to take advantage of local gatherings of Jesus followers. And that was early, early Christianity. And that, that issue has happened ever since then. There are people that were come in and try to twist things, right? Even, even the devil tried to do this to Jesus. The devil used scriptures but twisted the scriptures to try to get Jesus off course. And, and so Jesus knew in his ministry there's going to be people who are going to come in and do that same thing, try to get people off of the mission that God has for us, okay? And so, so that's what Jude is saying here. Remember what those apostles said. Now, Jesus himself had said this similar thing. So Jesus taught this, this truth as well. Matthew 7, he says, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the way that leads to life, and only a few find it. Beware of false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly, they are ravenous wolves. So this is one of Jesus' teachings. This is Sermon on the Mount, okay? Matthew 5, 6, 7 is Sermon on the Mount. And uh, Jesus is saying, you know, following me is a narrow way. And, uh, and others will come in and say, it's, you know, whatever. Uh, but follow the truth that God has laid out. Small is the gate, narrow the way that leads to life. And there's going to be others who say other ways, or it doesn't matter, or change my teachings. Beware. They'll come in sheep's clothing. They'll look like a non-threat, but they're actually a spiritual predator. Okay? So, uh, Jude says it with this language. He says there's, there's scoffers. There's scoffers, sometimes translated uh, mockers, right? Somebody who's scoffing at some teaching, saying, ah, oh, oh, we know better than that, Right? We know better than that. You shouldn't believe that. So they're scoffers or mockers, uh, false teachers, and they're following their own ungodly passions. And, 
And so what, what, what are things that got scoffed at or mocked then and things that still get scoffed at or mocked at now? And remember that all of this takes place, we're talking about people doing this inside of the, the Christian tent, okay? Um, so scoffers inside the church, guided by worldly feelings or ungodly passions, as, as Jude says, might scoff at some beliefs and practices that, that we've had. How about this? Uh, scoff, people scoff at bold prayer inside the church. Bold prayer. Bold prayer. Uh, you know, he's already told us to contend for the faith, and that word was agonizo, or the word for agonizing. And elsewhere in the scripture, it tells us to be bold in prayer. You have not because you ask not, right? Uh, one of the types of prayers is a prevailing prayer. We see the prophets do it in the Old Testament, and it's literally physically they're positioning themselves like a woman giving birth, uh, you know, where you're just in travail, and you're just, I am going to pray intensely with my whole body, right? Somebody does that in church today, 30% of you at least are going to look at them or just walk away, look at them funny or walk away. Not now after I said that, you're going to go, oh, wow, they're a good Christian. But if I hadn't said that today, at least 30% of us would go, that person's getting carried away. We scoff at bold prayer. We just do. We scoff at when somebody says, I'm going to ask for that person's healing. Or I've been praying for this person's conversion for 10 years, and we come along and say, oh, you'll, you'll get over that one day. We maybe don't say that actually, but a lot of Christians feel that way. But God says, you have not because you ask not. Ask. Right? He says, seek. He says, pray and don't give up. Be bold in prayer. And don't be scoffers. Okay? He says, we're supposed to join him in his sufferings. And I really believe that one of those ways that we are supposed to join Christ in his sufferings is prayer. Is really hurting in our heart with, with others who are hurting. And we have a history of Christians who have really, in prayer, agonized with the lost, the broken, the addicted, the grieving. And those people become prayer warriors because they, they feel it. And then because they feel it, they go and they help people too. They don't just keep it in prayer, right? They go and they become a praying servant, right? But it starts with bold prayer. How about another thing Christians inside the church can scoff at? We dealt with it in one of the previous Jude messages, but honest confession, James, one of the other brothers of Jesus, Jude is the brother of Jesus who wrote this letter. James, I believe, wrote the book of James and a brother of Jesus. And he said, confess your sins one to another. And then later after that, he says, then your prayers, will, a prayer of a righteous person will be powerful or effective. Confession. We, frankly, let's just admit, we don't even have it as part of our worship liturgy anymore. Many churches still do. Honest confession one to another. Confessing weakness to your spouse and not just moving on. Oh, they know I shouldn't have said that. So, right? But confessing when we fall short with one another as believers, inside of families, inside the church, admitting weaknesses with somebody trusted and saying, I really need to grow in this area. Right? We will gladly confess the sins of others in American Christianity. We do not need help with that right now. <laughs> We do need God to help us confess our sins one to another. Okay. How about this? Uh, since we're having so much fun right now. Uh, 
uh, exuberant worship. For some of you, exuberant worship would maybe look like this. Or this. I'm not picking on you. And you see somebody go like this, and you're like, has somebody got a gun? Uh, sticking them up? Why are they doing that in church? Did you know if we go back to the Jewish scriptures that the traditional way of worship being for thousands of years, you can just go to the Psalms and it's in multiple places. I'll, I'll quote Psalm 63 where, where it says, because your loving devotion is better than life, my lips will glorify you. So I will bless your name as long as I live and in your name I will lift my hands. Traditional worship is lifting your hands. Modern worship is this. So it's okay if you're a modern worshiper with your hands down. But I want us to be okay with traditional worshipers who come here and worship with their hands up because people have been worshiping like that for thousands of years. And I tell you what, God does not look down and say, oh, I wish they would put their hands down. <laughs> if it is sincere and, and you are worshiping God and you're whether it's you picturing holding on to God's hands, which some people do, or you're picturing just lifting praises to God, that's what some people do, or some people just can't help it. They just are raising their hands to God. The scriptures also say about falling down before God. That's a traditional form of worship, kneeling before God. But all of those things in much of modern conservative Christianity, let's be real, unless we're in the Pentecostal version of it or charismatic, it is got that. If it is sincere and genuine and it is praise of God, it should not be scoffed at. It just shouldn't. I, I, I stole most of that from Nicky Gumbel. Some of you know that because you do the uh, year-long prayer with him and he talks about that exact thing that he wants people to realize. Nicky Gumbel is the creator of Alpha. He has a 365-day Bible reading plan. It is awesome. If you haven't done it on the Bible app, you, could, you can start at any time of the year. You don't have to wait for January 1st. But when he comes across these psalms that talk about lifting the hands, he reminds people. People have been praising God with their body position for a lot longer than they've been standing complacently or sitting. Sitting is, is even less. We just don't see it in the Bible that much. We just don't. We just, okay. Again, having a lot of fun. Uh, here's one that we sometimes scoff at. And that's believing that people can be changed. Now, I will say, uh, yes, it's, there is some truth to people don't change, that statement that's just out there. People don't change, you know, people don't change. It's, but I think we sometimes say that in the church because we don't, we want to protect ourselves from this spiritual predator of false hope. Uh, you know, so we, we say statements like that, cliche statements, negative cliche statements, people don't change. Here's a statement you should say. God can and does change people. Maybe people will not change on their own. There is some truth to that. I will not deny that. But God can, does, and more than that, wants to change people for his glory and for their good. Right? But in communities and in families, if we're being honest, sometimes we scoff at that. I remember one time a visitor came in that I remember praying would come to church. And one of our beloved people didn't mean it in a bad way, but he didn't have the language to see. He's gone. He, this character's gone on the glory. But when he saw this person come into church that we've been praying would come in, he looked at him and said, well, when do you decide to get religion? Right? <laughs> and, and, and he just didn't have the language. He was just honestly surprised. 
right? That so-and-so, it doesn't matter who, would darken the door of a church, right? But I think we got, rather than picking on that person who's long gone and changed their heart anyway on that issue, let's look inside ourselves and say, is there someone we would scoff at if they, if they said, could I come to your Bible study tonight? And you thought, oh, they're coming for ulterior motives. They, they, don't, they don't really want God. I know that person. Is there someone that you wouldn't reach out to because you think they, they, they can't change? Do you know when, you do, when we do that, this is where God's convicted me. When, we, when we, I choose not to pray for somebody or not to invite somebody that God's put in my heart, that is you know, where he said you're sinning, but not just sinning, you're sinning in an ungodly way. Not only is it coldness and unloving to not pray for someone, but it's an insult to God. So I'm not only sinning and not being obedient and lovingly praying for somebody, I'm saying, God, you can't change that person. And that's what we call blasphemy. And it's a sin on top of a sin. So it's a sin of being unloving, and it's a sin in the way of saying, God, I'm going to tell you what you can do. That's always a dangerous thing. So let's just not do that. But it, it, it creeps in, right? And we've all gotten a little twisted with, well, there's certain sins there. There's certain people. I know them real well, Pastor. I hear what you're saying, but... But do we know what God could do? How do we know somebody's completely gone and could never repent? Do we really know that? I sure don't. (laughs) Based on some of you who've repented, frankly. And some of what God's done in my heart that I didn't know even needed to change. So who are we to limit God, right? Let's not scoff at that. And this one, maybe this one's coming up is unfair for you all that are here on a Sunday morning. And, and for most of you who are trying to put your faith into action. But I think in, in some of church life, and I'm not just talking about formal church life of activities and coffee and worship services, but I'm talking about being the church, sharing our faith, living it out. Some Christians scoff at others who are in the game. In the game. What do I mean by that? Um, some Christians, you know, when somebody gets excited about their faith or somebody in the church is really somebody who shares and prays and serves others, there, there are Christians who are not doing that, who like God and like the things of God, but look at the others and just think, you know, who are they trying to impress? Instead of maybe, those people are maybe actually really convicted about serving the Lord. And maybe you're saying that because you're actually defensive, because you're not. And at some point, you let your faith grow into a spectator sport. We talk about this at the men's Bible study all the time. Dennis brings it up a lot. Christianity is not a spectator sport. You know, it's just not. Yes, we gather and we watch and we do these kind of things on Sunday morning, but we do this so that we can be engaged, right? Sharing, praying, find what are my gifts? How can I serve? And I think sometimes we, I think sometimes within Christianity, we look and say, well, that person's, they've got plenty of energy, they'll do it. Okay. <clears throat> and suffering. I think there, this is one where the devil has really done a work in the American church. And that is, we believe 
that God is all about our comfort. And he will give deep spiritual comfort. I'm not denying that. A peace beyond our human understanding. But this book, <laughs> this New Testament especially, says there will be nothing easy about following Jesus Christ, really. He will provide all the peace you need and all the deep spiritual comfort. But he also says, you need to join me in my sufferings. You need to be ready to agonize with me. You need to hurt with the least of these. Right? You need to be willing to, to be mocked in front of men to glorify my Father. And whether it's on a legislative level or other, other levels, I think we try to just make church as comfortable as it is, as it can be. And, you know, I was reading a quote from David Platt, great author, but he was saying about American Christianity, we have one of his books on, on the free shelf if you want to take it. Um, please do. He was saying, what if we took it all the stuff away? Right? What if we took away all the external blessings we have as the American church? And it was a lot, lot harder to worship. Or we introduced the threats that uh, they have in other places and took all the other all the comfortable stuff away. The stuff we sometimes fight over, carpet and style of music and all these things that are nowhere, that have changed over and over again throughout the centuries, right? Carpet was invented at some point in time, right? And yet churches have divided over it? That's crazy. Um, what if we took all that stuff away and you were at threat for being a follower of Jesus? Would you still gather? Would you still pray? Would you still share his name? I mean, each one needs to think about that. But I think suffering for Jesus can be scoffed at. All right. So he gives us some of the problems, and they're, they're uncomfortable when we look at them. But he then does, doesn't stay there. He says that these problems lead to results that are not good. He talks about divisions. Divisions. Divisions is an interesting Greek word there that in a literal sense it means broken horizons. I want you to think about this. What's a horizon when you can see the beautiful full horizon? You have a full vision. What is division? Where you have half or less than half of something, right? And so this word in the Greek is, is broken horizons. And so when you let some of these scoffings into your heart or we tolerate them in the church and then they become kind of the mainstream background acceptance, oh yeah, we just kind of, that's kind of what we do. Those are kind of our scoffing expectations, whatever. Um, it breaks the horizon. It means we're given a lesser vision. And so we're talking, we're in the book of Jude to get the full vision or the bigger vision for us, right? And if we, if we Jude is saying if we allow ourselves to be about the lesser visions, then that's what we'll live for, right? We will, we will live as a comfortable church that doesn't believe the outsiders can be changed. And we don't pray boldly and we don't confess with one another. We'll just accept that lesser vision. But we don't have to, right? We don't have to be reduced to the lowest common spiritual common denominator of just a socially acceptable Sunday gathering with decent coffee or decent for some, right? We can be so much bigger than that by the Holy Spirit. That's one of the things, the result of division. Worldliness, worldliness, the the word for this is psychikoi. You get a worldly psychology inside the church instead of a, we could say, a Christian worldview. 
And, and it ends up meaning just church starts to look like a Christian version of something you can just do outside in the world. Where we're supposed to have really an otherworldly mindset, be ambassadors from heaven who live here now but on mission to represent Jesus. That's one of the consequences. Another consequence is, and probably maybe the scariest one, is spirit absence, devoid of the spirit. I, I pray that this doesn't happen here for any of you. But maybe it's happened for some of the people who aren't here anymore and they had to go somewhere else. I don't know. But I, I would be fine with comfort absence in this church where everybody came every week and they were uncomfortable here and they didn't like five or six things, but they knew the spirit was here. I am not called to be a nice pastor and I think that's what bugs some people about me. I will never be the nicest pastor in the world. But I promise you, I will always pray and want the Spirit to be in our body. Right? I, I, maybe you've been to this place where you've, and again, I pray it's not here, but let's just say when you vacation and you go to church and you go, it was a nice building, but I didn't sense Jesus there. I don't want that on my tombstone. He was a nice Christian, but boy, he didn't have the spirit. <laughs> we want God's real presence, right? We want God's real, real presence encouraging one another, convicting us when we need it, right? Empowering us to do things that we cannot do on our own. And that can happen. We can be the opposite of this. We can be filled. That's the vision he wants for his people. Filled. So the solutions. Let's move off the problems and the results of their problems to the solutions because that's where Jude goes. He says, so what do you do? You build yourselves up in the most holy faith. And, and to do that, if you're a building in progress, you have to admit you're a work in progress. You admit, I am an unfinished project. You could be 89 years old. What do you need to say? I am an unfinished project. You could be 10 years in your faith where you've been on fire. Stay there and believe, I am an unfinished project. You see, the way projects go, I've never, I don't build much as far as physical things, right? But you build from the, the beginning up. You build from the foundation up. And we all need, we need strong foundations. So we need to revisit, is my foundation good? Are my basic beliefs good about Jesus Christ and his gospel? Do I know the basics? But I build up from there. Do I know the plan that he has for me? Do I know my purpose? Do I know my gifts? Am I praying? Am I growing in prayer? Is he building you up? Where have you grown this year? If you can take a self-assessment of your life and say, I'm pretty much the same as last year spiritually, I can promise you that's not the Holy Spirit's fault. And that's a hard word. I get it. But let's turn it back to the solution. Jesus is the carpenter. He's ready to build any day. You're ready to be built. So all you got to do is say, build me up. I'm ready. How can that happen? He tells us, pray in the Holy Spirit. You got to ask yourself, what is prayer if it's not with the Holy Spirit? Okay. Uh, but pray, believing that the Holy Spirit is right there. I believe, and I think a good Christian understanding of prayer is that the Holy Spirit is the one that really leads us to true prayer in the first place. Right? Believe that the presence of God is with you as you pray, even in those times where you don't know what to pray, but even in those times where you have specific prayers for people or for changes in your life. Pray in the Holy Spirit. I, prayer, 
Prayer is not just something or some habit, again, for serious Christians or something. It's for all followers of Jesus. It is really the mainstay of our relationship with God. You, you, a Christian should not be, oh, there's Christians who really pray, and then there's Christians who, you know, don't. As we read the scriptures, followers of Jesus are supposed to be deep people of prayer. Local bodies that follow Jesus are supposed to be deep groups of prayer. What I say every week about prayer, I, I'm not saying out of habit, I'm saying on purpose. I want us to be a people of prayer. I want us to share our prayer concerns with one another, pray for one another. But prayer is not the most important thing of this local congregation, not by a mile. And that's been true the whole time I've been here. And it's not because you're all praying secretly in your closet. It's because we believe some lies. We like a formal prayer time up here. We like that we have a prayer team. But we don't travail in prayer as a church. Prayer nights, prayer times, every time I've called people to that, when we've had them, the most poorly attended things we've ever done. We had, we had a vibrant prayer group uh, when we did a prayer class. And vibrant for us was 10 to 12 people. Prayer is part of the main course, right? For your personal individual life, for you if you're a married couple, for you as a family, it, 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 it's not a side thing. So I'm, I'm going back to the problem, but the solution is right there in front of us. Let's just pray. I'm not trying to pick on us. I'm honestly saying God has done what he's done in our midst, which is pretty impressive, the things God's done in our midst over uh, the last decades. I mean, it, we have a pretty cool track record of God doing amazing things through a fairly small church. And I look at that, and just with an honest assessment, I say, and, as far as I can tell, it's never been a church except for some of the people that has been fully committed to prayer. So, that's a hard word. Yes, I get it. But what if I couldn't say that anymore? What if next year I came before you and I say, that's not true anymore? 90% of us, we are praying. Then imagine what floodgates the Lord would open. We can do more than we can ask or imagine. Okay. Pray in the Holy Spirit. Prayer is not magic. Prayer is not a code. Don't worry about dialing the wrong number or giving the wrong email address. He is right there. He just wants you to be honest, yield to him, call out to him, listen to him, walk with him, learn to pray in different ways. Use, use formal prayers. Use written prayers. Use, use your own prayers. Draw to pray. I don't care, but pray and pray in the Spirit. We need it. God wants it. That's your connection to God. Okay. And then keep yourselves in the love of God. Here's the deal. We drift. Humans drift. Christians drift away from what's most important. Not only do we need to be anchored in the Lord Jesus Christ, but sometimes I think, yep, I'm anchored, but then, you know, the chain for our anchor to our boat is like seven miles long or something. And so we drift seven miles away from our anchor point. And we got to get back to the core of keeping ourselves in the love of God. Keep remembering, daily remembering God's love for you. Daily remembering the cross of Jesus Christ. Daily remembering that the Holy Spirit is closer than your very breath. Daily remember that you're no better than any other sinner out there. 
daily remembering that your daily bread didn't come really just from the strength of your hands, but by the grace of God, right? Daily remembering, like he teaches us in the Lord's Prayer, to confess your sins, right? But to also forgive those who sin against you. Daily doing that stuff, right? Not drifting. That's getting the oar out, getting back to your anchor point. Because yes, God's never going to change the fact that you are anchored in Jesus Christ. I, I, I believe you are secure in him. As Jude keeps saying, you are the beloved. God's not going to change that. However, beloved, we can drift from remembering that and acting on it and living in the security and peace of it. So our job is to keep ourselves. And that keep is an active word. Keep ourselves near him. Right? Daily remembering. Weekly making gathering together important. Regularly giving, regularly serving. Because if we don't, we will drift. And I think what we had was the COVID stuff. There's a couple years people thought, oh, I didn't actually need the gathering. I'm pretty okay with my own. And they had drift. And I'm not getting into all the, you know, why it happened. I'm just saying that for a lot of people, they drifted and they think they're okay, but they need to say, no, I need to be part of the gathering, the getting together. So that's an intentional thing. And those who are gathered, we need to be merciful and kind to them and reach out and say, come on back. Gather with us together again. Now, I know there's health exceptions and things like that, but on the whole, we need to gather together again. Okay, so keep yourselves in the love of God. Next, wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Wait, everybody's favorite word, right? Wait doesn't matter how you spell wait. It's nobody's favorite word. Anyway, uh, wait. So wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. Waiting in, in the New Testament language of it is expectation. It's not like, oh, is God going to do anything? It's I believe that God's going to do something. I have expectation that God is going to do something in this group of believers in this upcoming year. I feel something. I know who God is. And I know that people have been praying. I believe God is going to do something. And let me tell you something convicting. I believed that about the people of Bishop Place before I believed it for our morning gathering. You know, that, that humble gathering of folks at Bishop Place, most of the people 80 and above. But there is a sense of expectation there with those folks who come in their wheelchairs and their walkers. And they have to make the hardest effort of their week to get to worship. And the 15 or 16 or 18 of them that we have, they are expecting God to move in them. Do we have God-level expectations of what he could do in us? That's what it means, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ. He wants to pour out his mercy on his church, but also beyond that, to overflowing to the people who don't know God, who are hurting. So are we waiting? We say, God, pour it out. I will deliver it. You pour it out, God. What will God do next? That's the attitude we should have as a local church. What will God do next? Right? And maybe we've had some chapters like that, I think. And maybe you've had some chapters that like that in your life. And you've drifted far from that. You've got a more civilized faith now, a more domesticated life where you're not really expecting God's surprises anymore. I just go back to what Jesus said to us. Have a more childlike faith. Spend some time with a childlike faith child lately, they're always discovering new things. Wow! Right? 
And it could be just a new color of Lego or something. <laughs> what am I going to see next? I think God wants that for his church, for his people. Okay, so the good news, when the solutions, when we are built up, when we're, pr- when we're praying in the spirit, when we're keeping in the love of God, when we're actively, eagerly waiting on his mercy, he is going to call us into ministries where we really help people. And I see Jude here giving us three categories of people that the church who is really doing this, the church that is really being built up, really praying, really keeping in the love of God, waiting on his mercy, We're going to be called to have mercy on those who doubt. We're going to be called to those who are burning down their lives and we have to snatch them out of the fire. And we are going to be called to others and we're going to show them mercy even though we're scared of them. So there's a third category of people we show others mercy to with fear. Let me talk about each of those categories a bit. So the first one is we are called to have mercy on those who doubt. Okay? There are people who are wounded, and there are reasons they don't believe that there's a good God. Okay? There are wounded, whether they're de-churched or never-churched, that are confused and scarred. They're hurting, they're struggling, they're grieving. And we, as the body, are called to have mercy with those folks. And a lot of that ministry is sitting and waiting and listening and praying and being sympathetic, but also truth-telling when the opportunity arises. We will call out the hurtful lies if somebody was hurt, molested, or something like that in a church. We will say, that was a predator. That was not Jesus. And that person, he's, Jesus is going to take care of that person. But God loves you, right? We need, so there's, there's a truth-telling part of that. But there's a lot of just compassion and mercy for those who doubt and struggle and have questions and hurts and pains. And then there's that other, that next category. There's others that we're going to save by snatching them out of a fire. And when, when I'm not a firefighter, I'm just EMS. When you, when you go into a fire and you know there's people in there, it's dangerous, right? Your life's in danger. You're going in because somebody else's life's in danger. And you have to be prepared. You have to wear the gear, right? God's given us his armor. He's told us we can pray. He's told us we, we, we're not going in unarmed, Right? The devil's going to throw fiery darts, but we can have a shield of faith. So, but nice churches aren't going to do that. This is dangerous ministry. We can, nice churches will say something like, well, it's their fault. They're burning their lives down because of their own addiction. Right? But God's saying, I, don't, I want you to be bold. Put on your gear and get into that. Support addiction ministries, yes, which we do through Teen Challenge, which is very important to do. But learn how to do an intervention in your own family. Gear up. You say, I don't know how to do that. Well, gear up. Get the gear on and believe God's going to give you the words. There are people whose lives are burning down. And yes, some of it is from their own choices. And some of it is because of genes that they were born with that you don't have. Right? Right? Either way, there's a fire. There's a fire in a lot of people's lives and families. And they don't know how to get it out. Or they're knocked out by the fumes of it. So it doesn't matter if they started it. Or someone else started it. Definitely kind of doesn't matter if the kids are innocent victims. There's another. That's, you get them first. Right? And that's what we try to do here as a church. We get them first. But we go for all of them. So it could be kids that were exposed to porn at a young age. Well, that's a messy ministry. 
But we have men who are willing to talk to those who've messed up their marriages because of that. Right? Or someone who's struggling with alcohol. And they need to stop. We have people that need to be willing to, to meet with them on that, right? We have others, frankly, that in your family that's just been living selfishly for their whole life. And, and they burned relationships with others. And we can grow cold to that and say, I'm not going into that. But some of those people might just be open. I've got to live a different way before I die. This is not working. Most people do not want to just die alone because they've broken all their relationships. Jesus went to Zacchaeus, right? He didn't say to Zacchaeus up in the tree, Hey, Zacchaeus, you burned your life down. I'm not coming to your house. He said exactly the opposite. And boy, did the community take notice, right? I'm coming to your house today, Zacchaeus. And I'm sure the community said, oh, people like that don't change. That Jesus guy thought he was doing pretty good in his ministry. Obviously, he doesn't know how to do ministry. Maybe somebody else is the Messiah. I'm sure people said stuff like that. And Zacchaeus came out saying, here's all my money. I don't care about money anymore because I've seen something way better. God can do that. Do you believe that for your Zacchaeus, in your family, in our communities? And if they don't change, leave the judgment stuff to God. Right? Okay. So we support those kind of ministries, whether it's teen talent, celebrate recovery, but we also follow God's conviction if he's called us. But we don't do it without gearing up ourselves and getting ready. Okay, next level. He says, show mercy to others with fear. That is, hey, this one I know is a dangerous one. I'm going into the lion's den with this one, right? So with opioid addiction, with heroin or with fentanyl, we have a new, you know, anti relatively new antidote to that called Narcan. Most of you have heard of that, or naloxone. And it can literally basically bring people back from the dead or near dead where their brain is shutting down and they are basically not breathing, their heart is winding down. And what, what, the, what the antidote does, Narcan does, is they sh you shoot it up their nose and the brain receptors that the drugs have turned off turn back on and all the systems go back on. And it's amazing if you've seen it. But you know what also comes oftentimes when they get Narcan? Anger. They wake up from the best high they've ever had because a high that's killing you is the best high you've ever had. And sometimes they punch back. So was it wrong to give the Narcan because they punch back? No. So spiritually, is it wrong when you, when you go into one of these situations where the person is just opposite to the faith, right? You go in and you know that they, this is, I'm going in with trepidation, as he said, with fear. And this could, this could be, the other one could be an addict, the fire, but this could be the addict that absolutely doesn't want to hear it, whatever they're addicted to. This could also be the atheist that absolutely, you know, doesn't want to hear why you have hope. But you with discernment, you have been called into that situation. You, you go in and you go in and it's okay. Go in with fear. But go in anyway. Right? And yeah, they'll punch back. They, 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 they may say, I don't care what you're saying. You are completely wrong. You're a doofus or whatever. I don't know. People don't say doofus anymore, but uh, 
Ananias with Saul. Saul was being changed by God, and the church didn't know it yet, right? God, God changed Saul on his road to Damascus, and, and then he calls on this guy, Ananias, and, and Ananias answers. And he says, Ananias, I need you to go to this guy named Saul. And Ananias says, uh, God, do you know who Saul is? <laughs> He's been messing with us. And God says, yeah, I know who he is, right? Go to him. And Ananias does. And you know how Ananias introduced Saul when he brought him to the first group of Christians he brought him to? This is my brother, Saul. And you know who punched back? It wasn't actually Saul. It was some of the Christians punched back. Again, could God change somebody as bad as Saul, an enemy, into a friend? A brother? So sometimes the punching back comes inside the church. Sometimes it comes from the person we're trying to, to witness to. But here's the deal. We still go in when God calls us to. Because he didn't say it was going to be easy. He did say, join me in my sufferings. And he said, and, and, and Jude says, and go ahead and have hatred. So church, I want to tell you, go ahead and have hatred, but do not hate people for our battle is not against flesh and blood, it's against powers and principalities. And here's the thing, we need hatred, but we need directed hatred. We need to hate the drug, drug trade. We need to hate the pornography trade and the filth on just even common television today. We need to hate that with a holy hatred not because things like that are changing kids. We need, to, we need to hate the lies that kids hear. We need to hate the kids hear Jesus Christ first as a swear word and not as the, word, uh, as the holy word as their savior. We need to hate that. And as you actively have healthy hate, you're praying, right? I hate that garment that's stained by flesh, right? What does that mean? It means I hate the thing that is getting so close to them. This is actually the inner garment, word for the inner garment, that's so close to them they think it's almost a part of themselves. I hate the lies that come into kids' lives that they think they just have to accept, that they think they just have to be like everybody else, right? I hate the lies that come into marriage where husbands think that it's just okay to make fun of their wives. I hate the system that's behind that. And I'm praying that the church won't be like that. I hate it. I hate the system and the twists of, of, of lies that have made young lives and unborn lives less important than my life as an adult. I hate that. But I don't stay in that hatred and then throw it at people. I let God take that hatred and drive me to my knees. Right? And say, God, okay, where can I do something about it? We are given permission here by Jude to hate the things that get so close to people that people start to believe that it is them. But the church is the group that has the, the discernment because we have the spirit and the word that can help us say, oh, that's not them. And I think, honestly, part of what 21st century American Christianity has done is we're not hating the garment. We're hating the whole package. And so people who are struggling with transgender stuff we're, just, we're hating the person, right? Instead of what, what's underneath that? Hate the garment stained by flesh, right? We can do that. They may not like us when we do that because it's so close to them. It's so, they think it's so precious. 
But over time, they might see, oh, that's not actually me. There's something deeper about me. What matters about me is not that thing that I was trying to get my identity from. That was external. The thing that matters is God loves me just as I am. God, God gave his son for me. That's what matters, right? And that's, that's where we want to get with those folks. So this has been another long sermon and a very short book. I get that. Did not expect that for the series of Jude at all. Uh, but you have homework for this one to make it even longer. And some of you are scoffing at the idea right now. How dare he <laughs> preach a long sermon and then give me homework? He knows nothing about pedagogy. Okay. <laughs> Didn't know he knew the word. Okay. Uh, here's the deal. There are reflections there. They're going to be on the screen. Conforming to Christ is not comfortable. There's a type of comfort he, he alone can give. Absolutely. The peace and joy that he can give. Absolutely. So, I want you to reflect on these, these questions. These are different than our next steps. These, these are for this sermon and for your week. What does it look like for you to do the things that Jude has been saying here? To build yourself up in the holy faith. To pray in the spirit. To keep yourself in the love of God is the next one. What does that look like in your daily life? Let's take this from theory and Pastor Corey saying a bunch of words. What does that look like in real life, in your life? What does it mean for you to wait on the mercy of the Lord Jesus Christ and come out praying and you expect God to do something through you this week? What would that mean for you? How could, how, what, what time are you going to give to God for that to happen? Is it morning time? Is it evening? Is it with another person here? Is it with your group where you're going to say, yeah, let's, let's get there or at least start to go that way? So these are some homework I actually want you to do. You have a choice. Do it or not do it. You can do it and scoff at it. You cannot do it and scoff at, at it. Uh, you cannot do it and not think about it. There's one option that's better than all the other options. I'll let you figure that out. All right. Lord God, none of us are here because we want to be scoffers. And yet your little brother... Jesus, a little brother on earth, said that inside the church, that's what happens sometimes. And you, Lord Jesus, you warned us that we will, we will have wolves that look like sheep's clothing that, that trick us into things that don't look dangerous, but are. We'll be tricked into falling for them. And Lord, I just pray for broken horizons to be healed. Not just for us as a local gathering, but for marriages in our congregation, for families in and connected to our congregation, for all of our ministries. I pray if in any way we've had a division, a small vision, a broken horizon, that you today and through our prayer and our worship and our, our yielding to you, you would repair the horizons. That we would look up and see a beautiful future you have planned for us. That you have things that you alone can do through and in us that we could not do on our own. Give us your horizon. 
your vision. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, there's some next steps as well, but you can read those on your own. They're on the um, tear-off thing. All right. We're going to sing together of the mercies of the Lord. Hello, friends. I truly pray that this message blessed you. And if you want to find out more about our ministries or listen to other messages or videos of our worship services, you can check us out at palousechurch.org or search for Palouse Church on YouTube or check us out on Facebook or we are on uh, the Bible app. There's different ways to find us. You can always email me, Corey, C-O-R-E-Y, at palousechurch.org uh, to connect with me or to send me a prayer request. We really appreciate you connecting with us in this way, and may God bless your day.